The Ephesian letter and uh, chapter 4 from verse 1. I therefore the prisoner in the Lord beseech you to walk worthily of the calling wherewith ye were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, giving diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as also ye were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But unto each one of us was the grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Then if we can read from verse 14 that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in craftiness after the wiles of error, but speaking truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom all the body, fitly framed and knit together through that which every joint supplieth, according to the working in due measure of each several part, maketh the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the vanity of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling gave themselves up to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye did not so learn Christ, if so be that ye heard him and were taught in him even as truth is in Jesus, that ye put away as concerning your former manner of life the old man that waxeth corrupt after the lusts of deceit, and that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Wherefore, putting away falsehood, speak ye truth, each one with his neighbour, for ye are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands the thing that is good, that he may have whereof to give to him that hath need. Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, but such as is good for edifying as the need may be, that it may give grace to them that hear. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, in whom ye were sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and railing be put away from you with all malice 
and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God also in Christ forgave you. Be ye therefore imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, even as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for an odour of a sweet smell. Let us just bow in prayer and all ask the Lord that he will really meet us in his word. Father, we want to thank thee that when we turn to thy word, thou hast made such practical, powerful provision for us. And Lord, we don't want to come to thy word as a routine thing. We want, Lord, that thou wilt cast light into this time upon our situation, upon our problems, upon the difficulties that face us corporately and individually. Lord, thou art able to do this, and together we come to thee and we ask, Lord, in speaking and in hearing, let thy divine power and ability be made manifest through the person of the Holy Spirit. We do thank thee, Lord, for hearing us. We pray that thou wilt write something of this, thy word, upon our hearts. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I would like um, the, in this morning time to dwell for a little while upon the whole matter of the outworking of this vision, the practical outworking um, of this vision. The uh, theme that we had for these times was living according to divine purpose. And I would like just to underline that word living because I think that really that's the key. Sometimes we get uh, strange concepts about church life. We put it in quotes. And somehow then it, it's all a matter of meetings, of routine, of uh, uh, sort of duties. Um, it's something apart from living. In fact, one of the great um, tragedies of, of Christian life and work is that very often Christian people become machines, uh, caught up in a kind of uh, uh, jargon, a kind of uh, routine um, that becomes in the end a facade. For instance, we all know people who can speak the phraseology, who are outwardly correct, uh, perfectly sound, and yet we feel we're not, t we're not touching human beings. We're touching some kind of pale reflection of a human being, as if all personality has been suppressed, all originality has been suppressed. Uh, living has gone. Existing has taken over. And this is a denial of what it is to be the church. Because one of the most wonderful titles of the church is the new man. And the, the thought of it is, the thought within that title, is that you and I are liberated, saved, to really be what God originally intended 
men and women to be. We are spirit, soul, and body. We have human personalities. And um, really, basically, to understand God's purpose for mankind requires us to live and not exist. So that's one of the first things I should like to underline. And when we speak about living according to divine purpose, what do we mean? By the very word life, we, we think of growth. We think of transformation. We think of education. We think of fulfillment. Now, if we thought about that, wouldn't that be marvellous? Instead of thinking of it as living according to divine purpose, supposing we thought of it as growth according to divine purpose. Supposing we thought of it as transformation according to divine purpose. We thought of it as education according to divine purpose. We thought of it as fulfillment according to divine purpose. It seems to me that this has to be the outworking of divine vision. We don't just become theological uh, depositories, uh, sort of um, little promise boxes, uh, where we've stored, even in memory, tremendous as that is, uh, statements from God's word, uh, promises from God's word, uh, the verses of scripture. We need to be people in whom the word of Christ has come to dwell. It's become flesh and blood. It's our own experience. We are living in something of the good of it. This you cannot get away from. You cannot blame anybody else for your own lack. Neither elders nor uh, other believers nor teaching nor practice because in the end, you and I are responsible before God and to God to really know him. The meaning of the new covenant is, and everyone shall know the Lord from the least to the greatest. And so we have a responsibility. Now, let's come down to this matter. We've been talking um, about divine purpose. We've talked about it in terms of the bride, in terms of the city, in, in terms of service. Now, how does that work out if we really begin to understand? Someone said to me, yes, oh, we've heard so much about being built up together and being builded as one and all the rest of it. But in the final analysis, it is a sphere of location. I'll explain what I mean. A sphere of location. In other words, we are, if we're going to live according to divine purpose, we cannot be butterflies. We can't just flit from conference to conference, meeting to meeting, Charismatic rally to charismatic rally. Charismatic book to charismatic book. 
There are believers today who spend their whole time flitting around from place to place. They go to this convention, from that convention to another, and it's very exciting. Because in conventions, you certainly meet the Lord, or very often, but you don't always have the problems. They tend to be high-tide uh, uh, points. You see people healed, you see people delivered. You don't see the problems that follow when sometimes afterwards someone who's supposed to be healed two weeks later the symptoms reappear. Or you don't see later someone who's been marvellously delivered having to face all the complex problems later when grave clothes have to be tailored, come out of the grave, but there are all the grave clothes to be removed. Those are the things you don't see in great conventions, great conferences. And you can live in an artificial atmosphere. Now, I'm not saying that any of you flip from conference to conference or from rally to rally, but, you know, we can have it in our own local way. What happens is that instead of really coming into the heart of things with all the difficulties, with all the problems, and with all the weaknesses, we exist on the periphery. We live just on the edge, and we watch everything. Now, it's always uh, 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 easy to be a critic. I can only go into anybody's garden and criticise them. It's very easy when I go, well, I don't like that. I think that could be done better, this could be done better. But when it's my own garden, it's not quite so easy because I'm doing all the work. And I realise the problems, the money, the, the time required, the energy to be expended, the other claims on one and all the rest. It's very easy to be a critic when you just go in and look and enjoy it or don't enjoy it or whatever. A sphere of location. Furthermore, let me say something else which will not be very comfortable, and that is this. You have a far greater responsibility if you are living in a company of the Lord's children or in connection with a company of the Lord's children who at least are seeking to fellowship and worship on the right ground and foundation. Because to be on the edge of it is a far greater condemnation than to live out in Siberia where there may be no possibility of me. So you have a sphere of location. This vision is not something that's just up there, a matter of theories, a matter of ideals, or even a matter of truth. It is a matter of being located. And that means that in Christ I have got to find my brothers and sisters. And this whole matter of the church has suffered from our idealistic concepts. We often speak of the New Testament church as if it was the most glorious thing that ever happened. Every 
everyone was built together, everyone functioned, everyone moved. We forget that within a few weeks of Pentecost there was an Ananias and a Sapphira who dropped dead one after another in a church meeting because they lied to God. Oh, I sometimes think when sometimes we say things in the meeting, how many of us would drop dead if God were to apply the same standard? What about other things? What about within a few years, Jezebels jumping in and out of bed uh, with people? So according, if I understand what uh, the Lord says uh, to John, he says, I'll fling into one bed, not only Jezebel, but all the people who've been in and out of her bed. Doesn't sound very nice to me. He speaks of another company which has, knows some of you, he says, they talk about knowing the deep things of Satan. As if you've got to be initiated into the deep things of Satan. Another company had the teaching of Balaam. Commercial avarice had come into the service of God. You see, when we take off our rose coloured spectacles and really look at the New Testament church, we find that it had a complexity of difficulties. We may not face the same problems today, but they certainly faced very real problems, problems that could tear them into pieces. The church in Corinth, for instance, had lawsuits, it had immorality, and was split into four clearly defined factions. Uh, uh, there were other uh, companies that had other problems. It is a very interesting thing that before Paul, the apostle, died, all the churches in Asia Minor turned away from him. What ever brought such a secession? What brought the division? Did they find the apostle difficult? Did they clash with him? Did they find him autocratic? Did they find him unyielding? What was it that made these churches that came into being through his ministry turn away from him? You see, we all treat these things so easily. We say, oh, how wrong it was, because we had the wisdom of hindsight. But I wonder how many of us would have been involved in these things if we'd been living in the New Testament uh, era. The fact of the matter is that the church on earth is, has a very seamy side to its existence. It is there that God has to boil out the dirt. It is there that the scum comes to the surface. It is there that we, we discover what we really are. And it is there that we have to find Jesus Christ and him crucified as our only oneness if we're going to go through. So problems there must be. And that's why God locates us. Now I'm not talking about uh, just finding anything that, that's called Christian. I, I'm talking about a church sphere. I'll come to that in one moment. But we cannot be on the periphery. We cannot just be spectators. If we are saved, God wants to locate us and trap us. Now, some people speak of claustrophobic atmospheres. 
And I have no doubt that there are such things as claustrophobic atmospheres. But let me just say something else that at least you will consider. Marriage can be very claustrophobic if there's no love. I can't think of anything more claustrophobic than two people being shut up together for life without the ability to leave one another. In many cases, without the ability even to go on holiday without one another. They can never get away. Every morning they have to wake up to see the same old face. Trapped for life until death do part. I call that claustrophobic. Now I know full well that many here would not say that their marriage uh, relationship is claustrophobic. This is because they love one another. And where there is love, the claustrophobia goes. But otherwise, there is a trapping of people within a relationship. Now, may I ask what it means to be built living stones together? Surely there must be some claustrophobia here. If I find one stone next to me, not of my choice, nor of my liking, and then another stone that I personally find a little more sympathetic and easy to get on the other side, and then a stone on top. And I want to remind you that in the buildings of which the Bible was speaking, uh, such as, not that the house I have in Jerusalem is, is, is one of those from that period, but when you have walls one meter, and 30 or 1 meter 50 centimeters thick, you not only have stones on the outside and stones on the inside, but you've got stones buried in the middle of the wall. So when it speaks about being living stones built up a spiritual house, there must be some kind of claustrophobia here. There must be some kind of sense of, oh my goodness, I'm trapped. God has trapped me. Not necessarily with people that I would choose, but people he has chosen. Now, where there is love, there is no claustrophobia. But where there is no love, it becomes claustrophobic. And that is why you have 1 Corinthians 13 in the midst of a whole passage to do with the church and its functioning. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body and all the various gifts in the body, the different functions in the body, how the eye cannot do without the ear, the foot cannot do without the hand, every part is in the body, it belongs to one body. And then 1 Corinthians 14 speaks about the exercise of gifts, that they shouldn't be just, as it were, used riotously, foolishly, excessively, but there should be an aim, uh, a law that governs the operation of all our gifts. What is it? That we may build one another up. But in the middle of the whole thing comes that amazing chapter on love. So, this matter of being located is, I believe, a question that goes to the root of many of our problems. 
God wants to locate us, not just as spectators, but as those who should be involved completely in his purpose. That's the first thing I want to say. The second is this. If God wants to locate me in a matter to do with building, spiritual building, this must have effect on where I live and where I work. And not the other way round. Now, I know there are some exceptions to this. I realise that. There are certain professions where uh, you cannot just pick uh, and choose. But once God has revealed something of his purpose to me or to you, there is a cost involved in responding. It may mean that you may have to have a lower living standard. It may mean that you may have to have a smaller income. But it is a question of location. Either you would prefer to have to live for a life here and go out on this line or that line and the other. And most Christians do this, let us face it. Most Christians do this. They get the offer of a job with a much greater income. They're off. Of course, it's always the will of God. It's just like I remember pastors in my early days were always called from a smaller congregation to a larger congregation. Always from a smaller salary to a larger salary. I always found it very interesting how God led um, his servants. There seemed to be so few of them who were led from revival to one Ethiopian eunuch in the desert. It seemed always that it was one rung up the ladder of spiritual success. And so it can be with us, all of us, in one way or another. We either serve God or mammon. We cannot serve both. And therefore this matter of location is very important. And people say to me, well, I feel I should be at Halford House, but they live right outside the area. I think this is nonsense. It's quite wrong. And as the energy crisis gets underway and many other famines come, we shall discover. So what are they going to do? We have problems when we live in an area and located in a company which is in a very expensive area. And here comes the whole question of faith it's one thing to trust God to supply our needs as a company, as a, for the place we meet in or whatever. It's another thing when it comes down to you as a family. Now, can I trust God, really, against thick and thin, that he will give me something in this area? I don't know in the early days of any family that wasn't tested to the hilt and had to... Hold on in faith. They became like Abraham, sojourners in tents almost, living in a land of promise which was not their own. And I think some of them would probably feel that they ended up with a cave of Machpelah. That's all. But that doesn't matter in the final analysis. If really out of it comes spiritual values, 
and the producing of spiritual character and the qualification to training for spiritual function, I think it's worth it. That's how I see it. So home and career, I believe, have very much to do with this matter of being located. And then it seems to me that another matter to do with this being located is that we have to face the difficulties and problems as they are. How are we going to be trained? Well, now, from last night, I imagine that we have a thousand problems. Most depressing. <coughs> because I, although there is a, a common identity in some of the problems, there are also problems that are diametrically opposed. One would feel this, we need this. Another would feel, no, we don't need that, we need this. What are we to do? What is our idea of the church? Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not for one single moment saying that adjustments shouldn't be made, that, thing, that new directions should not be taken, that uh, uh, old, an old format shouldn't be dissolved or allowed to, to, to disappear uh, and new ways discovered. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this, that mark my words, whether there's a new way or not, within a few years you will have a new set of problems. Because all of life consists of facing problems. <laughs> Doesn't it? We don't want to be gloomy on this matter, but it is. It's how to face problems and how to overcome problems. And in the final analysis, it is a question of spiritual character. Will you be submerged by the problems or will you overcome them? Will the difficulties, the things you feel are wrong, will they destroy you, destroy your effectiveness, paralyze your functioning, stop you from exercising any gift, stop you from being involved, or will you, by the grace of God, overcome and make your contribution? I don't know how exactly a, a, a saint's in, in, in a company such as the one Jezebel was in, how exactly they felt like contributing. And I would like to have known what the meeting was immediately following Ananias and Sapphira's death and burial. It says great fear fell upon the whole church. <laughs> I mean... In the final thing, we have to, we've got to face problems. Now, some of these problems God deliberately stands back and allows. They are due very largely to human error or human faultiness, sometimes to human dullness. Perhaps you feel the brothers need a kick in the behind. A little bit more high-powered fuel. A little clearer vision. But supposing you had brethren with tremendously clear vision uh, and doubt, I bet you'd have another set of problems. You'd probably feel, Phew, 
These choleric leaders we have. We just feel as if, as someone said to me, who'd nearly dropped dead from some meetings that they'd been involved in with some months with the invisible church. And they said, oh, they said, I've ceased to live. I've become a cog. Now there's certainly direction. Certainly there's clarity. But uh, there's a feeling of we're just going so fast and so somehow caught up in it. So listen, what I'm saying is this. You have one set of problems. We've got to face them, we've got to come through. But that set of problems cannot be an excuse for you opting out. Nor can it be an excuse for you saying, it's no good me ministering or contributing. When you get a little older, just another ten years, you will begin to realise that some of the problems are inside. It's all part of our growing up. We, we begin off by feeling that mm, our basic problems are outside. They are. The problems are outside, but not the basic problems. Get a little older, and suddenly we begin to realise it's not the problems outside, it's me. I'm the one that needs to change. Now, why God allows these things to develop, sometimes using human dullness, human uh, uh, error, is to bring you and I to the place where we've got to know the Lord, each one individually. Not as if none of the others exist, nor as if the problems don't exist, but we've got to know the Lord in the midst of the problems and come through with the Lord in the midst of the problems. This is what the Bible calls overcoming. And it is the overcomer who inherits, finally, the city and the throne. So you are in a situation where God has rather wonderfully uh, um, uh, given you the opportunity of being overcomers. What are you going to do? You see, um, supposing you didn't have problems such as were mentioned last night, more generally, you'd certainly have problems with one another. Relationships are our greatest problem. In a room like this with about 70 people, there must be people within this room sitting here who are totally incompatible temperamentally. Now, I won't ask for any um, uh, illustrations of this uh, matter, but I, I, I imagine that it would, be, it would be a miracle of miracles if we had a 70 people compatible and if you say that you are compatible with everybody, well, I would like to see how the Lord will lead you in the next few years. Because I think you'll find that he'll put you together with some people in teamwork that you find it impossible to work with. They simply rub you up the wrong way. They bring out the worst in you. And there are people who say, get that person out of my, my um, circle, out of my way, and I'll be able to function but I've only got to see them, and I'm paralyzed. So much for spiritual government. That some dear saint, saved by God, sometimes even filled with the Spirit, has such an effect on you. <laughs> it doesn't say much, does it, for us, 
for the position we shall occupy in the future if we have such a problem. So, my, uh, what I'm trying to say is this. We are located. It has very real effect on so much of our life, this matter of being located. All kinds of things begin to come out into the open. The kind of person you are, who, what your problems are, what your weaknesses are, and so on and so forth. We are located in order to overcome and function. So this is no excuse for the problems that you have mentioned uh, yesterday um, and will continue to mention, but personally, um, well, I'm very sorry for you, I won't say you've got to lump it, because I'm quite sure that the brothers and others also who are responsible have also got to seek the Lord for the way through. And since I believe they have done it over years, I believe that they will yet come through on some of these problems. But I think that you've got to face the fact that you're going to face problems. And let me say something else. So that this matter is 100% clear. Maybe within a decade or two, and we will be occupied by an alien power. Then you will have another set of problems. And this new set of problems will be far heavier than anything we as believers have faced. You will long for the days of dull brothers. Long for the days when there were just problems within a company. When there are martyrs. When there's no ability to meet freely. When there is the whole pressure to compromise. In order to get a job. In order to make a living. These things will come if we believe the book. And whether these islands will be spared or not is an open question. Therefore, you see, my, what I'm trying to say is that the problems we have will be of one kind or another, but problems we shall have. And if everything goes right in one way, within a matter of a year or two, we shall be facing major problems in another. What do we do? Supposing an alien power comes, antichrist in nature... What are we going to do about building up? What a perfect excuse. We can't be built up anymore, can we? I mean, it's tantamount to asking for trouble if we meet too often. Then will come all the questions. What should we do? How should we do? Shall we compromise? Perhaps it's just best to have a personal way with God and all the rest of it. Believe in your heart, not outside. <laughs> Don't think this is so ridiculous. Even in the Yemen, some years ago, the missions working in the Yemen, in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, made a decision that they would no longer preach the gospel. And they called it the silent witness. Many of the dear friends I know opted out, refused to have 
anything more to do with the various denominations that took that decision. They said, how can we disobey the words of our Lord to preach the gospel to the whole creation and only be involved in medical work or some other kind of work? I mean, it's a, a problem. If that happens in freedom, seeming freedom, what will happen when finally those forces come to power and your family life, the schools, the education system, and many other things will be influenced by some totalitarian type of government? Think of the problems we shall have. I could speak for hours on this matter because we tend to think, oh, we'll be, we'll be all right, we'll be all right. No, 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 because along with it comes the power of Satan to wear out the saints. And you would be very surprised how in many of these uh, companies behind the iron curtain, behind the bamboo curtain, people that you would least think of have been compromised and made spies in the midst of the church passing on information. It's not very easy then to minister, to contribute, when you have a feeling that maybe somebody somewhere here in the group is actually acting as confidant to antichrist forces. So my point again, coming back to it, is this. We have problems. We don't have problems like that as yet. It's therefore incumbent upon us to overcome by the grace and power of God and seek to really see the fulfillment of divine purpose as far as we're all concerned. When those other days come, God will give us the grace, but it will be a tremendous strength to us, will it not, that we have overcome these problems, that we've faced them, that somehow or other we've come through, because in the end it is the spirit that is in us that is the final factor. In other words, what I mean is this. Can you use the problems we have in this company to die? Can you use the problems that we have in this company to submit and trust God? Can you use the problems that we face to really come to a knowledge of yourself? Forgetting everybody else? Can you use the problems to bring you to the place where you know the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to contribute and to function even when you feel that it is in an atmosphere that is not holy to your liking or holy as you would think it ought to be. That is the way spiritual character is produced. It is not produced by having everything right. So now at last all the restrictions, all the claustrophobic atmosphere, everything else is removed. Now at last I am able to contribute, I'm able to minister, I'm able to exercise a gift. 
There's not overcoming. There was nothing to overcome. Overcoming is because the problems have been there and you and I, by the grace of God, have discovered new funds of grace and power in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, another thing I would just like to say is this, that living according to divine purpose, I I spoke about commitment yesterday as a response to divine vision. And I would just like to say, very simply, certain things about this practical commitment. What does it mean? First, it must be a practical commitment to Christ as the only foundation. Very simple. There is only one foundation in the church. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, you know the verse very well. And verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 2, we have the illustration of the, poor, of the Apostle Paul's own application of that. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only foundation, very easy for us, To say the foundation upon which I will be built or upon which I will function must be Jesus Christ plus excellency or Jesus Christ plus everything right or Jesus Christ plus certain experiences such as the baptism of the Spirit, such as holiness, uh, such as a correct view of the coming of the Lord or whatever else. What is a practical commitment? I will never really be able to throw in my lot with the people of God unless I see that Jesus himself is the foundation of all. Not less, not more. It cannot be less than the Lord Jesus and it must not be more. That's the first thing. I'll say no more. But I think that's an important point. Because that foundation is found locally. You've got, we've got to find it. And the Holy Spirit will not commit himself to building work. You can have a congregation of believers. You can have a congregation of believers with tremendous experiences. But you will find no building until you have that foundation of Jesus Christ. We all have to come to that. We have to find it. We have to commit ourselves. Not to a foundation which is teaching or a foundation which is experiences, but a foundation which is the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I have a practical commitment has to be made to Christ as head. It says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19, not holding fast the head from whom all the body being supplied and knit together to the joints and bands increases with the increase of God holding fast the head. You see, you have no excuse. I have no excuse. I have to hold fast the head. I can't say, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, the other's wrong, I'll let go. Or you may even say, I can't find the head. It's nonsense. 
If your personal knowledge and experience of the Lord Jesus is so weak that you can't even lay hold of the head, there must be something very wrong. You cannot find the body till you've taken hold of the head. Now, if we said that Jesus was the only head, of course, that would be right. But then comes our problems. There are apostles. There are prophets. These are the foundations, it says, in Ephesians 2. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The Apostle Paul speaks of his authority. He, he says to one thing, shall I come with a rod? Shall I use my authority? There is such a thing as apostolic authority. There is such a thing as elders. And the scripture is very clear. Obey them that have the rule over you, it says. Submitting to them. Uh, the Apostle Peter says you must submit to the elders knowing that they watch out for you. So here we have our problems. And it's not only apostles, or whatever you like to call them, or, or elders. In the house of God, people have responsibilities. Some person may have a responsibility for tape ministry. If you are involved in the tape ministry, there has to be a certain amount of submission. Authority and submission, even if they're banded around, sometimes uh, not too helpfully, Authority and submission are very important, vital matters in the house of God. And half our problems are not that we cannot find Christ as head, but how the headship of Christ comes to us through other members of the body. That's our problem. But there can be no building up and no living according to divine purpose if I say, the Lord is my head, blow everybody else. I couldn't care less about the brethren, I couldn't care less about Lance or Dennis or Alec or somebody else. They're all right, they don't understand me, they don't understand my problems. There is a place where we have to learn what it is to recognize authority and submit. And it is interesting, isn't it, that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse uh, 21, it says, subjecting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. That's interesting. It means everybody. Elders have to be subject to the church. The church is subject to the elders. You are subject to me, and there are times when I must be subject to you. Do you understand? In your home, I must be subject to you. It's your home. I can't go around saying, I'm an apostle. Bring out the best china. Immediately. <laughs> and we'll have tea. But there is this idea of authority where somehow or other the big men they just have from this, that, the other. And of course, that is where we get into all the problems with the thing. The thing becomes a hierarchy. Husbands must sometimes be subject, I know this sounds terrible, to even to their wives, because the scripture says that wives are to rule their household. And this means that a, a sensible husband will not interfere with his wife's rule of the household. 
Women cannot have one place where they can function and express themselves. They themselves will feel more uh, hemmed in, suppressed and destroyed than any other part of the church. So you see, this subjecting one to another is not just a, a matter that certain people are the bosses, certain people are the slaves, certain people are the people who give orders, others are... There are all different kinds of functions. If I enter into your home, I must respect your, um, your authority in that home. I can't interfere with your children if you're a father or a mother. You have a response. I can speak to you privately. I can speak to you and say, look, I think the way that you're doing this and this is not according to the word of God. But if I barge into your home and say, look here, that child needs a thorough spanking and I'm going to do it. <laughs> this is a complete disregard of a properly instituted authority in your home. Now, are you beginning to get what I mean by submitting one to another? You see, there are times when elders, apostles, whoever they've got to submit to other divinely instituted authority. I can't say, I am an apostle called by God, and I want to tell you all that you must disobey Margaret Thatcher's government. <laughs> this would be entirely wrong. Because I am to obey the powers that be as ordained of God. Now, when it comes to matters of conscience, this may be a different matter. If Margaret Thatcher's government tells me to murder somebody, there's a question where I will not only say, no, I will not, but I will exhort everybody else not to follow. What belongs to God is God's. What belongs to Caesar is Caesar's. But as long as you begin to get this point, that when we talk about a practical commitment to Christ as head, our problem normally doesn't lie there with our direct link with him. Our problem lies with authority, his authority, vested elsewhere. Some people have problems with obeying the laws of the land, especially the way some people drive. Some people have problems with um, fiddling things. They seem to think that as Christians they're about the law. It sometimes reminds me of the Orthodox community, the Hasidim in Jerusalem. These people are known by everybody to be the most self-righteous, as Teddy Collick, the mayor of Jerusalem, says. Who would ever want such a community? They just take the law into their own hands because they believe they have a direct link with God. So if they don't agree with this and this, they lie right across the road. It doesn't matter that recently uh, uh, a large number of people voted for a sports stadium in an Arab part of the city. 16,000 of the Hasidim came out, beat up the police, pelted the horses, smashed windows, closed down the whole section of the city because they believe they have a direct line with God. Which somehow means that they can... Now, some Christians are like this. Oh, they don't have to be punctual at work. There's no need. Their quiet time must take priority. I had to have my quiet time, so I came in late. <laughs> anyway, the boss is unsafe. <laughs> I mean, he's just lost. He's going to hell. And the few times I've tried to point it out to him, he hasn't listened. No one disregards. 
you know, I can disregard someone. But that boss is a properly instituted authority. Actually, God stands behind him. And your attitude to him is actually your attitude to God if it suited you. So there you begin to find that this matter of practical commitment to Christ as head brings in a whole lot of other matters of authority. Father, parents, employers, as well as those in the church. It's interesting that our Lord is called the head of all principality and power in Colossians and chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. And we will leave this matter. But do you begin to see what I'm trying to say? That uh, we can talk about living according to divine purpose and it all sounds so wonderful, but the rub comes when suddenly we find that we have to submit to somebody. And furthermore, in the church, we don't think so-and-so is much cop. Much easier to disregard the man and say, well, when he gets filled with the Spirit, I'll submit. Or when this and this happens, I'll submit. But you are asking for a rough time because you will find in the same way you treat that brother, others will treat you. Whilst you have no responsibility, it's marvellous. You can be a critic. You can just trip around on the circumference. But once you've got responsibility, you just wait. When people look you up and down, so and so, who does he think he is? Not an easy matter. Then you begin to discover how difficult it is to exercise authority. You can never exercise authority actually unless people allow you to. Now, there's a third thing on this practical commitment. It's practical commitment to Christ as unity. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse um, uh, 15, uh, 14, for he is our peace who made both one and break down the middle wall of partition. He is our peace who made both one and break down the middle wall of partition. Middle walls. There are thousands of middle walls. Tribal middle walls. National middle walls. Racial middle walls. Social middle walls. Denominational middle walls. Temperamental middle walls. There are thousands. They're ad infinitum. Could go on. Middle walls, things that divide people, things that alienate us, things that make it difficult. Oh, I can get on with so-and-so, I can't get on with so-and-so. Middle wall. Well, what do we do when it says he's made peace? Breaking down the middle wall of the He made of two, one new man. What are we going to do? Because we find, quite honestly, but we don't like to criticise the word of God, you see. We get people we can criticise, but not the word of God, because the word of God is the word of God. But in actual fact, let's be honest. Although the Bible says he made peace, making of two one new man, 
breaking down the middle wall of petition in actual fact. There are lots of middle walls, aren't there? <laughs> what do we do about these middle walls? There's only one way. Believe the word. Just say they're not there. How? By seeing that Jesus is our unity. It is the unity of the Spirit. He is in you, he is in me. I am in him, you're in him. Now, can I say something about relationships? Relationships as the other side of the coin to unity. Relationships are the most important thing in life. The whole of life is filled with relationships. You're born to parents. Later on you find relationship to friends. Brothers and sisters, perhaps in a family, then to friends. Later on you have relationship to someone who becomes wife or husband. Then you have relationship to children. You have relationship to teachers. You have relationship to employers. You have relationship to government, national government. The whole of life is filled with relationships. In fact, I would go so far as to say the whole of life consists really of relationships. It would be a very funny kind of life with no relationships. <laughs> there would be no continuation of life without relationships. You not only have to be born a parent, but a man and a woman has to come together. Yeah. And so, um, you've got a... A relationship. Now, the way we find out about ourselves is through relationships. It is God's divinely chosen way of bringing you to see who you are, what you are, and what he is. So, this matter of relationships is all important. Uh, we often think when we first see one another how sweet everybody is, they all look such nice people and so on, but as we get to know one another we begin to find out all the faults and the problems and the difficulties. Now, in the church, God traps us. We cannot leave one another. Be so nice to say the Lord's led me off to the chapel down the road. As soon as things get hot, we're down there. And then when things get hot down there, we're off to the next assembly. And then when things get hot there, we emigrate or whatever else. And somehow or other we spend the whole of life escaping. Jacob did this. I think you all know. He was the biggest twister in the Middle East. And when God wanted to bring him to a knowledge of himself, he took him to the second greatest twister in the Middle East, his uncle Laban. And the two of them swindled each other for 20 years. And that was the way that Jacob finally came to his transformation. Now, that may be a very dramatic illustration, but in actual fact, in principle, it is true of all relationships. You learn about yourself by being cooped up with someone you cannot get on with. And it is then that for the first time you discover whether you really have got within you the fund of grace and power that you should have, or whether in fact your faith is sham. 
Now, those of you who are married, you, I'm sure, know that however loving your relationship, one of the real things about relationships is you get to know yourself. Because your nearest and dearest will sooner or later tell you about yourself. <laughs> they may hold off for a long time, but in the end, the truth will out. And they will tell you that you either talk too much or you don't keep your mouth shut at the right times or uh, you're emotional or you're too rational or you're crabby at times or you're overgenerous or whatever else. But at first, of course, it would cause a terrible scene, normally speaking. A great thundercloud develops. Everything goes into darkness. People can't talk with one another. But as time goes on, they fi you finally come to a recognition that maybe, <laughs> just maybe, there's a little atom of truth in what so-and-so said. Sometimes it takes two or three bust-ups and, and some real dark thundercloud-type tantrums to bring us to the place where finally we see, yes, there's a little truth in this. It is strange how we won't own up. Another interesting thing about us is this. We often have ideas about weaknesses that are not weaknesses. You know, you say, I, I, I've got this weakness, I've got this failing. But you haven't. It is through relationships that we discover that someone has... Sometimes we find one another's spiritual gift through relationships. Your brothers and sisters often know better what you are gifted for than you do. I know people who think they should be preachers. We all know, the rest of us, that they couldn't preach for toffee. But they think that they're going to be preachers. They've got some idea that God wants to... He's been given a gift. And I've got to do... But we can all tell them they're wrong. Now what do we do? Let them become crashing old boars? In the church? Or is it through relationship to one another that we come finally to the truth? Well now, I think, what time should I finish? Now. <laughs> see, I have to submit to authority, you see. <laughs> Even me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very sad. Now, the point about this matter is this, that relationships are all important. I wish I could speak a good deal longer on this matter because this is where really our, much of our problem lies on the personal level. We've talked yesterday about some of these things about the company and about its way, its direction and the things we feel that somehow or other should be changed or whatever else. But in the final analysis, with ourselves, it is relationships. It is getting to know one another, appreciate one another, understanding one another. And very often in the routine of church life, somehow we get so pressurized and the enemy breathes all kinds of lies into us that we can't even act as human beings with one another. We treat each other as digits. Whereas there is a beautiful word 
in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, which says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good deeds, and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much more as you see that day approaching. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good deeds. Oh, if we could only, not only in our problems with one another, understand that we're all different, that we have different temperaments, different backgrounds, we are different personalities. We cannot manipulate one another, mould one another, push everybody into a common form or frame. Understanding one another through considering one another is tremendous. And then the next thing is to provoke unto love. I like that. It's a beautiful word, isn't it? I wonder what it means. How do I provoke you to love? How do you provoke me to love? It is to a considering of one another. I sometimes wonder whether, do you consider the leaders to provoke unto love and good deeds? Do you consider others that maybe are older than you? Well, all these matters, one last thing on this practical commitment, it is this, a practical commitment to Christ as life. I must say, one underlying thing I'm sure is right in all the suggestions, criticisms, questions made, is this, that if our coming together is not a matter of life, then there's something wrong. And our practical commitment must be to Christ as life. Now, in life, there are periods of winter as well as periods of summer. It's part of organic life. There are periods of contraction, periods of expansion. There are periods when life ebbs and life flows. We must understand that. And when there is a contraction, we suddenly become aware just how dead things are. And thank God, if things are right, the Holy Spirit will blow upon the whole thing and the dead leaves will drop. And then there's a new burst of life and we go on. It seems to me very, very important, all this. May I just then end on saying this about the church, that it is the sphere of education and training. Now, we are always the church. Get this if you don't get anything else. We are always the church. We're always... Sorry, you're going... <laughs> I'll give you a special lesson on your own. <laughs> We're always the church, always the body of Christ, at all times. You see, I think some of you have got a conception about the church that we're the church when we meet, but when we're not meeting, we're not the church. We've got a meeting-itis. You know, a kind of idea that only when we meet are we the church. We're not the church. You can never de-church yourself. You're the church when you're in bed. You're, in, you're the church when you're at work. You're the church when we're meeting. I think this is very, very important to a, a proper understanding of this whole... And it is the relation of our home, our family life, our marriage relationship, our workday life, to the church, which is so important. What is priority? 
How do we fit the whole thing in? I don't see church here, family here, work here, personal life there. If I read this book right, it seems that we are the church. We're in the new man. And in the new man, we are the church. And in the new man, we have home life, family life, personal life, workday life, business life, professional life, whatever you like to call it. And it's the relationship of the whole thing together. And then the question about when we do meet together, surely our meetings, there are two things about our meetings. One should be a ministry to the Lord, and this is forgotten. It's a ministry to the Lord. And as well as a ministry to the body. If we don't see some of those meetings of the church as ministering to the Lord, what is a prayer meeting? It's a ministry to the Lord. What is that Sunday morning time? Basically, at least at Lord's table, it's a ministry to the Lord. There are other times when it's ministry to us. Now, if we got this clear a little, maybe it would help us, all of us, not just you, but I mean, the leaders, everybody. If we could get this clear, these twofold ministries, to the Lord, to the body, as well as to the world, that's evangelism. Well, we'll leave all this matter. But you, I hope, see that the practical outworking of divine vision is a matter of living. You've got to become the person God intended you to be. Your home has got to become the home God intended it to be. Your marriage relationship's got to become the relationship God intended it to be. Your business work life has got to become what God intended it to be. Our church life our meetings has got to be what God intended it to be. It's a matter of living. Now, if there there is a problem, we must face it. God help us in our relationship. Well, there are bound to be bound to be chores, bound to be duties, bound to be things.